0: Turn your Bibles, if you will. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. Book of Philippians, chapter 1. And as you're turning there, Norman was married to a blonde, and they live in Buffalo. One winter morning, listening to the radio, they hear the announcer say, we're going to have four to six inches of snow today, so the snowplow can get through uh, or three to six, uh, four to 6 of snow today, you must park your car on the even-numbered uh, side of the street so the snowplow can get through. Norman's wife goes out and moves her car. A week later, while they're eating breakfast, the radio announces, we're expecting six to eight inches of, of snow today. This week, you must park your car on the odd-numbered side of the street so the snowplow can get through. Norman's wife goes out, she moves the car again. The next week, they're having breakfast again when the radio announcer says, we're expecting 10 to 12 inches of snow today. You must park. Then the electric power goes out. Norman's wife says, honey, I don't know what to do. Norman says, how about this time you just leave the car in the garage? Amen. This morning, I want us to consider our manner of life, our manner of life. And as I said, we're going to be looking in the book of Philippians, and just to give a little bit of background, the Apostle Paul, he founded the church at Philippi on his second missionary journey. Now, Philippi was a a small town, and the town itself was founded by King Philip of Macedonia. Now, most, most of you probably are saying, well, who's King Philip of Macedonia? Well, we know his son much more than we know him. His son was Alexander the Great. King Philip was the father of Alexander the Great. And uh, Philippi, at this time, when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, they they were a Roman colony. They were under Roman rule. And the Apostle Paul had a very close, a very personal relationship with this church. In fact, they had helped him financially on at least two different occasions during his, uh, his ministry. And when they had heard that he had been arrested in Rome for preaching the gospel, they sent a man from their church named Epaphroditus to minister to Paul and also to give him a gift. And, and this letter to the, to the church at Philippians, Philippians uh, it, it, the, the, the book in the Bible, is really Paul's thank you letter for their uh, ministry, for their support of him. The Apostle Paul, he knew that he may never be set free again and that he was more than likely facing execution by beheading. So he wrote this letter to that church, not just to thank them, but also to encourage them to stand firm, to strive together, and to be courageous. Amen? And you'll see that theme throughout this letter. Let's pick up, skip down to verse 20. First, uh, or Philippians chapter 1, skip down to verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh... This will mean fruit from my labor, yet what shall I choose I cannot tell, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. "...that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries." which is to them a proof of perdition, uh, perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Chapter 2. Therefore, if there uh, is any consolation in Christ... but also for the interests of others. So we see here, and understand, not just in Paul's letter, but throughout the Bible, that God has called every believer to be a fearless fighter. Amen? A fearless fighter. Just as Paul was, as well as all the other uh, apostles and, and, and disciples of Christ, he wants us to claim and live his word. Amen? In, in Romans 8, 3, God says, If God be for us, then who can be against us? In, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God's Holy Spirit, God himself who lives and abides inside of us, is greater than he, talking about Satan, who is in the world. Amen? We need to claim God's word, and we need to be that fearless fighter. You see, fear comes from Satan himself, amen? We need to understand that. So as believers, we have to be fearless in Jesus Christ, amen? So as we see here, as we uh, read in in, uh, skipping down to verse 27, the Apostle Paul says, Only yet let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What is our conduct? What is he talking about here? Well, simply put, that literally means our manner of life. Let our manner of life, our conduct, let how we live be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying, what manner of life are we living here and now? Amen? And is it worthy of the gospel of Christ? Several years ago, I read about a math professor at, at Vanderbilt University. And his, his name was Dr. Surratt. And Dr. Surratt would offer this, these words of, of encouragement before each exam. Listen to what he would say. He said, today I'm giving you two examinations. One in trigonometry and the other one in honesty. I hope you pass both. He said, however, if you must fail one, Fail trigonometry. There are many good people in the world who cannot pass trigonometry, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass the test of honesty. I thought that was brilliant words. Amen? Our manner of life. You see, our possessions, our things, our wealth, all those things come and go. You can take away every possession that we own. But you can never take away our reputation, our manner of life, amen, how we conduct ourselves. And as a born-again believer, we are under the world's microscope every single day with everything we say and do, amen? We have to understand that. They are watching, they are waiting, and they're actually hoping that we slip and fall into sin so they can point their finger. And say, see, look what that Christian is doing. Amen? We have to understand that. We have to be very mindful in both our actions and our conversations. That we reflect the manner of life that God outlines for us in his word. Amen? Only let our conduct, our manner of life, be worthy of the gospel. About 20 years ago... You know, when I was 10 years old, um, I was working at a trucking terminal, a trucking hub in the transportation industry, and and we had a, a company vice president come and, and visit the, the facility. And we were talking, and, and one of our conversations, he brought up how um, a, a few weeks earlier, we had an incident where one of our trucks broke down, and it happened to be on... One of our busiest route, and we lost a half a day's work in, that, in our busiest uh, route. And the VP looked at me and he said, boy, I, I, bet, I bet you were just screaming and cussing. And at the same time when he said that, one of my drivers happened to be walking by. And he looked at the VP and he says, nope. He says, I've never heard him use a foul language or never seen lose his cool. You see, that was my reputation. That was my manner of life on the line. And that driver wasn't even part of that conversation, but, but he overheard it and he wanted to step in on my behalf. Because he understood how important a reputation is. Amen? And our manner of life is critical to our witness. Our manner of life is critical to expanding the kingdom of Christ. We have to live in a way that enhances the gospel message and not hurt the gospel. Or hurts the name of Christ. We have to live in in a manner that uh, uh, enhances it. It it, it makes it better. It it allows it to grow. And I want for each of us this morning to just honestly dissect our current manner of life. I want us all to look in that spiritual mirror. As we look into God's word. And we ask ourselves. Does my manner of life help? or hurt the gospel of Christ. Amen. I want each of us to do that this morning as we, as we go along in this message. First thing I want us to do, I want us to consider our character. Now we talk about character. Our character is our reputation. Our character is our name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 3. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Amen? What is God saying here? God is telling us that we are established by a good and godly reputation. Amen? We are established by a good and godly reputation. Proverbs chapter 27. Looking at verse 2, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Verse 21, the, uh, and, and a man is valued by what others say of him. So we need to understand that our good name comes from who? What we say about ourselves. Our good names comes from what others say about us. Amen. It doesn't come from ourselves. Our reputation is established by how others see us. Amen. How we act. They see what we do. They hear what we say. They see how we conduct ourselves, especially in times of trials and hardships. Amen. They're basically seeing if we practice what we preach, plain and simple. That's our reputation. It's others that define our reputation, not ourselves. So we need to understand that the value of our character is tested by our reputation. Amen? Because many times the way we think we are is not the way we come across to others. Amen? Amen? So a good name is established by what we do. Go to book of James chapter 1 verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Now skip over into chapter 2 for a second. Look at verse 14. What does it profit my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Skipping down to verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what we do and how and why we do it tells everyone what we are who we are, and more importantly, whose we are. Amen? We're not saved by doing good deeds. We're not saved by, you know, doing good things. But we show the world the heart of Jesus Christ by the good things that we do for Him. Amen? And how do we do good things for Christ? We do good things for what? each other. Amen? Plain and simple. Jesus said, what you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. Our reputation, whether good or bad, it will precede us. Amen? We have to understand that. Our reputation, whether good or bad, it will precede us. We see the examples throughout the, uh, the word of God. In the book of Joshua, for instance, we read about how the Israelites, as they were approaching Jericho, amen, they were were marching into Jericho. Their reputation of crossing the Red Sea, their reputation of defeating the Amorites, their reputation of defeating Og, the king of Bashan, that reputation preceded them into the city of Jericho to the point that The people of Jericho, they were completely terrified. Amen? They were terrified of their reputation that preceded them into that city. So let us, as individuals, and also together as a church, let us build up a good and godly reputation that precedes us in this community. Amen? That is godly character. Second thing I want us to consider is our consensus. Not just our character, but also our consensus. When we talk about our consensus, we're talking about our unity. Amen? We're talking about our harmony. We're talking about our agreement in Jesus Christ. Our consensus together in Christ. In our original uh, passage in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 27, he said, only let your conduct be worthy, your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of your affairs, listen to what he says, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Amen? Later on, we, we read about being in one accord in the books of Acts, and we repeat itself over and over, that the early church, they were in one accord. I don't know about you, but I don't know how they all fit in that little car, but the Bible says they were in one accord. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, he said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or every house divided against itself will not stand. Think about your own personal experiences. Think about a time when you had divisions within your own family. And then think about that. Think about how quickly people began to do what? Pick sides. right? In our human nature, we have to pick sides. Think about the pain or or, or, or the uh, uh, the peace, the joy, the happiness that was robbed from your entire family when that occurred. And we have to understand the same is true in our church family. and even more so, Amen. Divisions rob the church of its peace, of its joy, of its harmony, its happiness. The love and the warmth that used to be there quickly disappear. Even perfect strangers, first-time visitors, can sense the coldness. Amen? The turmoil. A very sad state that an unbeliever should never, ever be exposed to. Amen? So, let's be mindful of two truths. First, Satan seeks to defeat us through divisions. Amen? That is his favorite ploy. Divide and conquer. So, we have to understand that. Satan seeks to destroy us through divisions. And secondly, there is tremendous strength in unity. Amen? Tremendous strength when we all come together in one accord in Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Amen. In Philippians two, five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the same mind, the same thoughts, that the same everything that the apostle was talking about. That we all have the same vision, the same love, the same burden for the lost. That unity, that consensus in Jesus Christ. Amen? And lastly, I want us to consider our courage. Our character, our consensus, and also our courage. Go back to verse 28. And not in any way terrified by your adversary. Again, God has called all of us to be courageous. We are to be that fearless fighter in the face of opposition. You know, it's, it's easy for us to have courage Sunday mornings when we are surrounded by church people in the church house, isn't it? It's easy to sit here among ourselves and talk about being courageous in Christ. But the real test is on the other side of those doors. Amen. When we're surrounded by the world. Are you willing to stand alone in Jesus Christ if necessary? Amen. Or are you just keep quiet and just blend in? We have to be courageous in Christ. We think of Moses. Moses' ministry was grounded in courage. A lot of us think back when, you know, God spoke to him out of the burning bush and he tried to make every excuse, right? But he still had the courage to move forward. Because God said, you're not doing it alone. That's where his courage came from. As he was coming to the end of his life, he spoke to the nation of Israel. And he told them, be strong and be of good courage. And on his deathbed, he told Joshua, be strong and of good courage. And after his death, when he passed that torch on to Joshua, Joshua gathered the elders of Israel together, and he gave them that same encouragement. Be strong and of good courage. We think about courage in the face of opposition. Having courage in the face of suffering. One of my favorite martyrs to read about was Polycarp. Polycarp was one of the early church fathers. And he was arrested and sentenced to death for refusing to bow down to Caesar and announce him as Lord. Amen. Before carrying out the execution, they gave Polycarp one last chance. Listen to what he said. He said, I have served God for the last 86 years, and not once has he ever failed me. So why on this occasion do you ask me to deny him? And then he was martyred. We see the same courage in every martyr of Jesus Christ. A lot of times we think of martyrdom as as just in the Old Testament or in Bible times. Let me tell you something. There are many nations today where there are many martyrs of Christ still standing firm on the gospel of Christ. In nations that don't allow the preaching of Christ. We see that same courage in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into that fiery furnace. We saw that same courage in that young man, Daniel, when he was thrown into that uh, lion's den. When the heat is turned up on us, will we be courageous in Jesus Christ, just as these brave men and women were? And I'll end this morning with just this one last thought on suffering for Christ. You know, we think of our human nature. Our human nature is to do what with pain? Get rid of it immediately, right? The moment we feel pain, the moment we start to suffer, we immediately want to get rid of it. And then when we read, when the Apostle Paul writes, he said, I glorified in my suffering. It's hard for us to to comprehend that. It's hard for us to fully understand what, what the Apostle Paul was talking about. You see, through the wisdom of God's Holy Spirit, he understood that suffering was not something to be necessarily avoided at all costs. Amen? He recognized that God had allowed that suffering into his life for a reason. For some type of purpose. Now, I'm not saying that we just suck it up and we endure pain. Listen, if you have pain and you have medication to treat it, take it. Amen? But what I want us to understand, that if we didn't experience pain and suffering, we would never know, we would never understand compassion. Amen? We would never know, we would never understand true joy. If we never experienced pain or suffering, every day would be joy. We wouldn't understand what true joy really was. And if we never knew or understood pain, then we would never know and understood exactly all that Jesus has done for us. Amen? He magnified pain and suffering. And it's my prayer that we are a people of strength, that we are people of good courage, that we are people of godly character in the unity of Jesus Christ.